Catherine Campano and this is a Risky Business News sponsor interview with Patrick Garrity, VP of Marketing and Security Researcher at Nucleus Security, one of the top vulnerability management platforms on the market today. Good day and glad to have back, Patrick. It's always great to be a part of Risky Biz, so thank you for having me on today. The last time we met, we talked about Sysakev. Now, four months later, Sysakev has more than a thousand vulnerabilities. What do you think that tells us? Is the cybersecurity industry better at gathering threat intelligence and vulnerability exploitation or are threat actors better at weaponizing vulnerabilities? Well, I think probably a combination of both, right? I think, um, you know, CISA's Kev is showing the known exploitable vulnerabilities catalog that they're adding real value and continuing to add value. So like it's evolving where most of the vulns being added are relatively newer vulns. There were some complaints about some of the older vulnerabilities, right? But they're also adding a lot more enrichment, like the the new ransomware capabilities, which is is great. Uh, and so that's becoming a more viable uh, threat intelligence source, and it's available to everyone. So I think that's really good news. At the same time, we're seeing a huge rise in vulnerability disclosure, which is really important. Uh, so vendors like Microsoft and technology companies to disclosing their vulnerabilities more and more, having vulnerability disclosure programs as well, uh, where people can participate in bug bounties. So generally speaking, like more vulnerabilities being reported is a good thing. Um, but on, on the flip side, I think, you know, same thing. We're seeing a huge rise uh, in exploitation. We're seeing a, a huge rise in new exploits and then just mass exploitation as a whole where people are kind of scanning, uh, spraying and, and praying and hitting uh, organizations of all types. You touched earlier on the fact that CISA has now added a special section inside Kev that lists if a vulnerability has been linked to ransomware operations. How do you think that particular data point will impact how uh, vulnerability management platforms deal with this kind of information? Like how are you dealing with it at Nucleus? Yeah, so before the Kev added ransomware to the, the Kev list, you know, we partner with uh, Mandiant, and Mandiant has had ransomware information for a long time. And so within our product, what we've always advised people to do is focus on uh, things that are mo the most impactful. So a signal that a vulnerability has been confirmed, you know, exploited and associated with ransomware is a good example of a high fidelity indicator that like, this is of the most, you know, utmost criticality as it relates to vulnerability and threat. So you probably should take action as, as quickly as you can, depending on, you know, the context of the asset, right? So it's really, really great high fidelity intelligence to be able to understand when a threat actor uh, is using a vulnerability uh, associated with uh, ransomware or other things beyond ransomware as well. Is there a threat actor actually even associated with the vulnerability at all? Um, uh, is another great one uh, to understand and, and prioritize. It means, you know, it's getting a lot more attention, so it's a lot more prevalent uh, when you have this type of information tied to it. Working with Mandian kind of merges their classic services of threat intelligence with your vulnerability management into this hybrid uh, vulnerability threat intelligence service. Do you see the market evolving towards closer cooperation between vulnerability management companies and threat intel firms? 
because I know you uh, you use EPSS scores to rate the importance and the predictability if a vulnerability could get exploited. And then Mandiant and other threat intelligence companies have actual human operators going over each vulnerability and enriching the data with additional knowledge that can't be extracted out of NBD or someone else. Is this what you see the, the future of the vulnerability management market going forward? Yeah, I think we're seeing a convergence of a lot of different threat intelligence sources and, and feeds. Vulnerability uh, threat intelligence is relatively new. If you look at it, do you think that you know some of the commercial intelligence firms have been doing it for a much longer time? Uh, but the Kev, you know, being newer, he, the exploit prediction scoring system and EPSS that you mentioned being something that's newer and incredibly useful. And so I think the the open source intelligence, and then you have um, you know GitHub security advisories uh, and a, a huge amount of other OSINT data. I think the challenge for a lot of people is there's so much information out there. And so, yes, like a high EPSS score is of concern, but it doesn't tell you anything other than a score. <laughs> um, the Kev, you know, doesn't tell you much of anything other than a product. Um, and so where you look at threat intelligence converging is, these are all really useful tools. And we even see commercial threat intelligence sources using EPSS as an indicator to go investigate a vulnerability from a people perspective to see, hey, why is this triggered? What's associated with it? What's the problem? So they can collect and gather information and provide that to their customers. And then that information ends up uh, in our product for all our customers to consume. Uh, so that can be different information about like, is there a threat actor associated with it? Um, you know, was it discovered in a place like a GitHub repository? If we saw it in EPSS, like what are the indicators out there that we're seeing otherwise that might be telling us that this is a critical vulnerability? Um, and are we seeing any, any evidence of the exploitation even our, ourselves? And so that's what's pretty amazing when you look at the uh, commercial threat intelligence space is they're doing a lot of that homework uh, so that commercial organizations don't have to do all that work themselves. What do you think drove this change in the market where uh, there's now closer cooperation between companies covering vulnerabilities? Yeah, so I, th I think it's interesting. I think, um, you know, CISA had some visibility in foreseeing this with the CAV, which they released in 2021. One of the biggest things I've seen and observed from a change perspective is up until 2020, um, phishing was predominantly the number one initial attack vector, right? And I think there's a few few different things. If you look at, for instance, Mandiant uh, M-Trends report for 2020, it's like, hey, the last decade, the majority of initial attack vector has been credential compromise, right? Well, the reality is, is more and more people have implemented any form of MFA. Uh, that's become a harder way to get in the, you know, keys of the kingdom and access. So, I think a shift in change where we see mass scanning data available and organizations scanning the internet, and then the availability of exploits via things like GitHub, right? Where now I can go and grab Metasploit or other tools and I can run an exploit or get an exploit from someone else at zero cost, right? And freely available. So what we saw from 2020 on the last report, M Trends 2023, all of a sudden exploitation of vulnerabilities is the number one attack vector. 
So really people are getting caught really quickly and having neglected in a lot of cases, maybe neglect isn't the right name, but they haven't invested in their vulnerability management program. At the same time, vulnerability skyrocketed as far as the number that are being disclosed, the number that are being exploited. Um, and so that's really the culmination of like, yeah, we're seeing a collaboration across, you know, threat intelligence with uh, vulnerabilities with CISA, for example, with the commercial um, uh, organizations and with projects like EPSS, right, to really tackle the problem that this has become. And if you look at it, you know, prior to, I think, 2021, uh, CISA-CAV and EPSS didn't even exist. So there really wasn't anywhere to get any uh, available uh, threat intelligence other than maybe Twitter, or following uh, you on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and and I, I think that's kind of funny, but I think a lot of people have mentioned it's like, historically speaking, you know, someone like yourself it has often been an indicator uh, of a way to find exploitation uh, of vulnerabilities up until uh, these publicly available uh, sources. Patrick, we were talking before this podcast about a project you are working on, on analyzing the percentage of ransomware linked vulnerabilities in CISACAV. The number was quite high. It was around 18%. The number being that high, does it surprise you? Or do you think that uh, because ransomware gangs have massively adopted vulnerabilities as a way to gain initial access and then move laterally through networks is what also attracted attention to the need for vulnerability management? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I think, you know, first off in looking at the data, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think what's more concerning is what we don't know, right? What vulnerabilities are are being used um, beyond this as well. But it's relatively small data set. If you look at the Kev is a thousand vulnerabilities itself. And then the National Vulnerability Database, for instance, is I think approaching 230 or 40,000 vulnerabilities. So it's pretty small. Um, in the in the bigger picture, you know, side of things, I think what's interesting is exploring and looking at the different products. You know what the Im- impacts are, right? So if we look at it, yeah, if you look at ransomware, you know, ransomware is largely associated with uh, Windows servers, maybe some VMware infrastructure, uh, some network devices, and so you know the, the the products that I identified, I don't think are incredibly surprising. I think you have some newer ones like FTP uh, files sharing type services that we're seeing uh, accelerate more. I think what surprised me more is you don't see uh, Google or Apple on this list. And if you look at the Kev as a whole, like they have a lot of vulnerabilities on the Kev list. Um, So those are some interesting observations. I need to explore it a little bit more to see like, why is that the case? Um, is it because they have a smaller market share in the enterprise market? Possib- possibly, but I think there's some aspects of like newer technologies architected more effectively, probably harder harder to, to use from a ransomware attack perspective. But I think also, you know, you're alluding to something, you know, I think that can be true is market share uh, as well as whereas people's focus is. There's a common advice that's been given out over the past year by security experts that have advocated for the use of Chromebooks and enterprise environments just for this reason. I mean, I worked in environments where we were straight Chromebooks. And I think, you know, you look at Google and like the adoption of U2F and other things, like it seems like they're doing pretty good with the, the technology that they, and architecture they've deployed internally as well. 
So yeah, not not trying to be critical. Uh, I think all the vendors are trying to really uh, make significant moves. I think Microsoft, a good example, like, you know, they're deprecating in TLM in Windows 11. Um, so I think there's some good examples of like, everyone is trying to move towards more of a secure uh, by design architecture and infrastructure. Um, but it's really hard when you have, you know, old legacy code bases that have been around for decades. So uh, let's say Microsoft manages to secure most of its products. Do you think vulnerability management, no, threat intelligence, how do you see this particular market evolving? If Microsoft would be on the same security stance as Apple and Google, where do you think the threats will appear in the future? Well, I think we're going to continue to see threats across the board. I, it's not that we don't see uh, vulnerabilities and exploitation in Apple and Google products. My observation was more on the there's no ransomware associated on the Kev with these products, uh, which is an interesting thing. I want to double click, like maybe all the ransomware is associated with old products even, right? So maybe it's just the fact that we have older information on the ransomware uh, capability on the Kev. I haven't looked at that yet. So just theorizing uh, some of the reasons that, that it might be. I do think that relatively speaking, Microsoft systems are very pervasive and they're relatively historically have been easier to gain access to remotely, been used because of their com configurations and misconfigurations to move laterally within an environment. So I, I think it's interesting. I think the important thing as we're talking about vulnerability management, right, is I don't think we're going to see ecosystems change and standardize on a single technology or platform. We're seeing broad adoption across uh, enterprise organizations of most of these technologies. Um, I think you would be, you know, surprising to look at any modern day enterprise, uh, a large enterprise that probably doesn't have most of the components that are associated with ransomware in their environment somewhere, right? If you double click and look. So I think the, the important piece we talk about there in relation to vulnerability management is getting in full visibility across the full stack, uh, which includes things like operating systems, uh, it includes your code bases, your development uh, life cycles. It includes your cloud infrastructure, your network infrastructure, and we kind of go on and on. Um, but that's really the the, the basis, right, uh, to what we do at Nucleus is essentially being able to aggregate all these different uh, sources of information and then helping organizations make sense of what things are posing high risk to to the organization and helping get that information out to the teams that uh, own the different products and can essentially update them. Since you also mentioned it earlier, last week, CISA also released a second database next to Kev that lists misconfigurations that are common in uh, enterprise uh, networks. The general feedback I've seen online was people being extremely critical of CISA for creating a database that basically has five entries and are the most basic misconfigurations ever, like don't enable RDP, don't enable VNC, and so on. Now, most of them aren't specialists in vulnerability management. Like for you, for you at Nucleus, is there a way you could use this database? 
yeah, certainly I think the aspect of misconfigurations, like we, we track vulnerabilities, right? So really you can track any of this information. It's not much different than like a compliance uh, scan that we would ingest, right? And actually for, for fun this weekend, I actually created a checkbox uh, list of um, all the misconfigurations because I found the information a little bit hard to consume. So I made a one pager that kind of goes through all the misconfigurations and all the different settings you can fix to help as far as the CISA recommendations. On your note of being critical of CISA, like I do think it's funny. These are very basic things, but doing the basics right is hard for most organizations. And most of the attacks that you know we're seeing or hearing about, many of them are associated with basic misconfiguration issues like those on the list. Uh, so I think it's, it is easy to criticize like, wow, these are some of the most basic things. What do you mean you're not doing this? It's like, oh, I could, I could point out time and time again, misconfigurations in MFA, the lack of no single sign-on, SMB uh, being enabled, but no signing being enabled, kind of on and on. And so I think generally speaking, especially the larger environment you're in and the more pervasive, it's a, it's a good thing to go and double check to make sure that you're actually uh, doing the things that they're suggesting. And a lot of times people say they are doing them when in reality uh, things get overlooked um, and also, you know, and often end up uh, misconfigured within their environment. So I think like, you know, loosely tied to vulnerability management, there are some things in relation to patch management and vulnerability management in there. But, uh, you know, you could upload that into Nucleus and then you could track against those misconfigurations and essentially do, you know, in some ways like a self, uh, self-assessment self uh, just to make sure that n- none of that stuff is help- happening in your environment. I would be careful of just checking the box, though, because like misconfigurations happen. So you probably should have people double check and look at their work uh, to make sure that those misconfigurations aren't actually uh, present within their environment. Uh, wait, you've kind of described a new feature there. You mean you can use Nucleus to track misconfigurations? Yeah, you can. You could track really anything from a work effort perspective. Uh, explain how. Explain how this works. Yeah, I mean, so so compliance is a good example. Like you're going to have vulnerability information, but like we can really track anything associated with, for instance, an asset or a vulnerability. So you could ingest that, right? You know, via our compliance findings um, or, or other means. And then you could have people uh, check and do that. We also have people do that uh, for pen test results as well, right? A lot of times you might discover or find uh, misconfigurations or vulnerabilities there as well. And then a lot of times you might, you know, you, especially in the development environments, you might not see a CVE. Uh, it might be a misconfiguration or a weakness. Uh, and so that would be tracked in Nucleus as well. Let's say we end it here and uh, we'll probably meet next year again and talk more about Sysakev and vulnerability management. Patrick, thank you for your time today. Thanks so much. I appreciate being on. It's always nice talking with you.